I was walking through the halls of a Minnesota rink When along came a wild fan who started talking smack to me He said, I bet you never liked the blues until they won a cup and So I calmly turned to him and said, hey man, listen up I admit it's pretty great to win Lord Stanley's prize, but listen I've been waiting for this moment my whole life. Yes, sir, I'm a blues fan. Yes, sir, I'm a blues fan. Heartbreak's all I knew, man. That team from old St. Lou, man. Got a cup in here, 52, man. Give me a let's go blues. I know Brett Hall, Courtney Campbell, Cujo, Jenny Oates, Brown, Chase, Fjord, Zombo, Sezzle, Butcher, Shanty, Tilly, Tuttle, Sutter, Twister, Turcock, Kimball, Turjan, Baron, Bassin, Pronger, Pearson, Bergevin, Bozon, Al McKinnis, Crab, Chuck, Howard, Chuck, Petrovicki, Pellerin, Dimitra, Yate, Corson, Conrad, Gretzky. Yes, sir, I'm a blues fan. Yes, sir, I'm a blues fan. Heartbreak's all I knew, man. That team from old St. Lou, man. Got a cup near 52, man. Give me a let's go blues. <laughs> Now, the starting lineup for your Blue Notes podcast. Tom Franklin and the man called Wags. And welcome to Blue Notes, located on the best city on the Mississippi, the best in the Midwest. We've got that Stanley Cup power, too sweet to be sour. And if you're still clueless, we're talking about St. Louis. We are your home for St. Louis Blues coverage on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Tom Franklin, joined by the man called Wags. And guess what, Wags? We just got introduced by Tom freaking Calhoun. I, I have absolute goosebumps because, <laughs> I, I mean, we, we hear it all the time at the Blues games. We get excited. We're up and cheering. And all of a sudden, he says our names. Like, uh. Oh, Man, you know, they, they say don't ever meet your heroes, but I was so glad to meet my hero, Tom Calhoun. Uh, of course, uh, Tom was uh, happy enough to sit down and chat with us, and uh, we split his interview up into two episodes. Part two came out on Thursday, so you can check that out wherever you get your podcasts from. And, um, you know, not only – one reason I'll, – I'll say there's a little bit of uh, – uh, reason we got him to do our intros, not just because we had him on as our, on our podcast, but Wags, we also contributed to his cameo, which he uh, is raising uh, funds for a very good cause for. Oh, yes. He, he partners with Be The Match, which was the foundation Layla Anderson is a part of as well, and donates money from his cameos to that organization. And, you know, we, we thought we would reach out to him and say, hey, could you do it? And then we got to thinking and we're like, we got to do more. We got to find some way to compensate and make a difference and we're like why don't we do something through cameo so we reached out to him and said hey would you be willing to do this and then how can we either do a cameo or make a donation to the charity in order to help out in some way shape or form and he goes yeah just you know make a cameo request send me the stuff you want to have done i'll read it i'll send you the cameo i'll send you a separate link as well like he went above and beyond everything that i thought he was going to do to help us out and I couldn't be th more thankful for him. And guess what? Going to hear his voice a couple more times on the show today. That's right. Uh, two more times. You know, if we have a guest, maybe three, you know, just uh, uh, great service that uh, Tom did for us. And we certainly appreciate that. And uh, uh, it's just a huge honor. We got, we got both Tom Calhoun and Jeremy Boyer involved, you know, in our intro and outro. Now, as you'll hear uh, later on, spoiler alert. Um <laughs> Speaking of spoiler alert, we're going to have a lot of those today. We're, we're, we're going to have a little bit of that at the end uh, here. And you can probably guess why if you've been 
listening the last couple of weeks. Uh, by the way, we are now up to 600 followers on Twitter. I think we're actually at 603 or 604 now. Uh, it just feels like every month, Wags, that we're we're gaining about 100 followers. And then we, we're coming out with these announcements, you know, more and more frequently. And, you know, even without hockey, Wags, this thing's still growing. Oh, most definitely. It's growing by leaps and bounds. We've been lucky enough to have great guests coming on that are attached to hockey so that we can do stuff while there are no games going on. Uh, but guess what? I think you have an announcement about that. Uh, I actually, I don't have the announcement, but uh, Guy the Hawaii Blues fan has the, that announcement in his Aloha commentary. A little something special we got cooking for you uh, next Monday. And um, I'll go ahead and get out of the way right now. Just a heads up uh, with the holidays coming up, uh, both uh, Wags and I will be busy. A lot of us in the Hockey Podcast Network will be busy. No Thursday episodes this week or next week. Um, the uh, Hockey Podcast Network is letting us take a little bit of a break. And then next Monday, uh, we may not stream live next uh, next Sunday. Uh, we'll we'll play that by ear. If there's if there's some NHL news or Blues related news that comes out, we might pop on. Um, otherwise, that's kind of up in the air. We will have a Monday episode wherever you get your podcast from Apple, Google, Spotify, uh, wherever you go on that. And then we'll also put a YouTube uh, video up there as well. Again, you can find us at Blue Notes Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Make sure you like, subscribe, follow and uh, all that fun stuff. And then don't forget to hit the bell on the uh, YouTube video. See, ding, right there. You know, hit that bell because they say that's important for some reason whenever you watch YouTube videos. Also give us a rating too. That's yeah. another way. That, that'll help us allow us to get to more listeners as well. Make sure you rate us as well. Yeah, review, comment, all that fun stuff. That helps us reach more Blues fans just like you and uh, get involved in the conversation. You can drop us a comment anytime and we'll... Uh, uh, pop it on here. Like, for instance, uh, Wyatt Blues fan is uh, watching as we speak. He says, good afternoon. Of course, he can say that because he lives in Hawaii and it's the afternoon there, whereas here it is 637 and it is evening. So uh, uh, a lot of uh, late night hockey in our future coming up. Of course, for him, it'll be just late afternoon. So not not a big deal. Uh, and uh, we say that because hockey is back. We have a deal 56 games coming up this season, and uh, I, I can't wait for that to get going and whatever form it's going to ultimately take. There's going to be some teams that might not be playing in their home arenas. We'll get to that in a little bit. Alex Steen will not be with the Blues this coming season, though. He, uh, he retired uh, late last week, and uh, we'll talk about that at considerable length this episode here. Uh, but let's go ahead and get the good news out of the way here. As I said, hockey is back. And so we have um, a, a deal with the NHL and HLPA announced today. And here, some of the particulars we'll get into here, because it's kind of, there's some caveats coming up this season that, you know, will affect, you know, the blues rosters, this blues salary cap and, you know, how many players they can carry. There's a lot going into it. The biggest thing is that it is official. The Blues will play out west this year. Uh, they will be in a division alongside Anaheim, Arizona, Colorado, Minnesota, Los Angeles, Vegas, and uh, the San Jose Sharks. So we talked a lot about that last week, Wags, and how it's just it, it, for 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 the initial response, it felt like a shock to me because you know this would mean you know the possibility of a lot of late night games. Uh, some teams that are not in the central division usually, you know, so going to be playing a lot more California teams. 
And it felt weird at the time. But, you know, the more I think about it, Wags, uh, and, and I did a last word on hockey article on this, the more I think about it, I almost prefer being in the West because the Central, when you think about it, it's made up of five Eastern Conference teams, teams that the Blues don't usually play. And whereas the West is going to be entirely familiar foes. So I'm, I, I can, I, I can sit, sit here right now and say that I'm officially okay with the Blues playing in the West. There's a second reason for that, but the, from the competitive standpoint, I like it. What do you think, Wax? Yeah, I, I think it's it's perfect for the Blues. Uh, you know, I'm still a little confused to why Dallas isn't in the in the Western Conference, essentially the Western Division. Uh, they're a lot closer to these teams than the Blues and the Wild are, but it still makes sense for the Blues to be a part of this. And you're talking about competition as well. Yeah, you've got Vegas. Yeah, you've got Colorado. And yeah, you've got Arizona, who is going to be a Central Division rival here in the future anyway. But outside of that, you don't have teams that are really scary. And I'm sitting here thinking, and I saw this go around a lot of different social media sites today, that isn't it going to be real fun to see a Pacific Division Championship banner going up at Enterprise Center and people <laughs> going, what? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, not, now Nashville's really envious that they won't be in the uh, West because that'd be a unique banner that they could put up, you know. I they could put up a we stayed in the central division banner yeah we stayed in the central division and all we got was the stinking banner <laughs> i i want to see that uh go up in nashville um you know so yeah i, I wrote a big thing about the three-year head-to-head records between uh teams in the uh west and teams in the central it's actually eerily similar how that ended up we talked a little bit about that last week 37 wins against each, you know, against each division. The goal differential was like almost exact, you know, I mean, same goals for same goals against um, and really the same problems, you know, for the blues in the Pacific are the same problems in the central where, you know, we've, we've, we've often, you know, noticed, at least I have as a blues fan that the blues tend to play up against teams that are really good and they'll and, and they'll give, you know, a team like Colorado and Vegas, a good battle. Um, they'll slaughter the lambs, you know, that are in the division, you know, the, the, the teams that are not very good, like the bottom dwellers of the NHL, no problem with them. It's that nougaty middle that the blues always have issues with. And even in the central, they would, their, their bane has been the Nashville predators in recent years. Don't tell our Nashville host that by the way, please don't that we don't want them getting cocky on us. And um, and then in the Pacific, our bane has been the Arizona Coyotes, you know, which sporty with Corey and Richie, they know about that. They've erupted in our faces already. So, you know, they, they know, uh, we got a cup though. We got a cup. We, yeah, we still got a cup and we, and, and we have a Kachuk. So, you know, there we go. You know, we, we, we took their Kachuk. Um, so, you know, the, the, the similarities are there. Another thing that I, I liked, and this is according to Andy Strickland, um, let me find uh, that tweet here. Do, 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 do. Uh, League Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly says they are aware of the concern Blues fans may have regarding late start times out west. I think Bill Daly uh, l- listens to the Blue Notes. Um, he says the league will make efforts to minimize the issue. Now, I, I I'm optimistic about that. It is on record on digital paper that they are going to keep St. Louis in mind when it comes to, you know, Pacific coast starts. And maybe, you know, I th- I've been reading the theory is maybe they start uh, 
start games an hour early or maybe two hours early if they're playing like a California team. Um, let's see, though, Wags, if they actually execute on that, though, because uh, I feel we've heard this before from the NHL. We, we have, but I think after what St. Louis has done for the last couple of years as far as showcasing the NHL at the Stanley Cup, the All-Star Game, the Winter Classic, I think they actually do have a little bit more pull than we think they do. And I think that they will do this. And once again, not knowing what the schedule is going to look like, I still wouldn't be shocked if they found some way to do these kind of like back-to-backs where they play one game early and then yep. travel and play the game the next night in a different city. But nearby. And, and, yeah, exactly. Nearby, you know, in L.A. San Jose sort of thing where it allows you to still have some rest, but it allows you to get these games in such a condensed time frame. So it's not just to appease the Blues fans. I think you're going to see that in a lot of instances, actually, not just in this division, but in other divisions as well. You're going to see maybe some earlier start times than you're used to to allow teams to rest and to keep players healthy. And yes, we'll, we'll talk about the taxi squad here in a little bit as well. But I think they're going to do everything that they possibly can to get the games in in a short amount of time, keep their players healthy, and still allow fans of certain teams to be able to watch these teams without you know having to stay up late or yeah. get to bed really, really early. <laughs> yeah, and, and as Carter Potts pointed out, he's uh, one uh, half of the uh, hosting team for the Quack Report, covering all things Anaheim Ducks here on the network. Uh, he noted to us last week that Californians are working from home anymore. I mean, they're, they're like, like, like they, like the percentage of people working from home in California is probably higher than any other state, you know, because they, they're really super serious about uh, COVID-19. So, you know, if they start a game, like say it's the blues and Kings and, you know, Los Angelinos are wanting to watch the game and it's five o'clock and the puck drops, they're home already. They don't have to worry about traffic. You know, that's, and, and it's just, so they, they get to watch a game. The game's done by 8 o'clock their time. I mean, they're done early. They, they can move about their life. You know, it's – I and especially, you know, I think California teams are probably going to be the last teams to have fans in the arena. You know, I mean, I, I doubt there is a single California hockey team fan that is going to see a live game, at least in the 2020-21 season. Uh, so that that's a consideration to factor. And, and then, you you know, it, it's a possibility that, you know, the these California teams don't even play in California. Like, for instance, San Jose, they're having their training camp in Arizona because, you know, of the restrictions in California. So, you know, if, if they're playing in Arizona, I, I guess all things being equal, you know, when we talked about that last week with Arizona, their their time shifts. You know, they have a weird they, they, they play with the. Uh, Daylight savings time kind of weird in March. It shifts. I forget which way it shifts, but it does. I think it shift. shifts to the Pacific time frame. Right, exactly. Yeah. So that means so for the first couple of months, I think Californians can you know suck it up if you will and enjoy some 5 p.m. hockey you know here and there. So let's hope uh, that is indeed the case. Um, now let's take a look at this division here, Wax, because because we were talking about competitive balance and talking about. You know, Blues are good against the best and the worst, but, you know, soft against the middle. Um, where do you see this division shaking out? I mean, where do you think the Blues end up? I'm seeing a lot of third place finishes for them. Um, I'm a little more optimistic than that. What do you think, Wags? Yeah, I'm, I'm pegging them around second or third. Um, I think you look at, 
you look at Colorado, Vegas, and the Blues, and they are the top three, hands down, no questions. Uh, it's just going to be a matter of how they finish. Vegas is going to be integrating Alex Petrangelo into their system, so it may they may get off to a bit of a slow start. They have to trade away some guys. They may still have to trade away some guys, so not entirely sure what their offense is going to look like. Uh, and you got an aging Mark Andre Fleury in net, but then you also have Robin Leonard in net as well. So they, they've got a good back end there. Their defense is is. A little questionable outside of Petrangelo. And then you look at Colorado. And I was talking to one of my buddies today about Colorado in a sense that, you know, they're scared of Colorado. And and I am a little bit as well. They have a lot of talent. Don't get me wrong on that. But Vegas scares me a little bit more because they've been there. They've been to the finals. They've been in the playoffs. And yes, Colorado's been into the playoffs, but they haven't won anything yet. And Mm -hmm. until they do that... I'm not going to sit there and say I'm confident in them being able to go out there and win in the playoffs. But... I do think it's going to shake out to be Colorado up at the top, and then it's going to be us in Vegas fighting out for that second spot. I think, I think Vegas takes the second spot mainly because they have the goaltending situation figured out. Whereas the Blues are going in with Bennington and Huso and a third that we don't know who that's going to be. So, if the Blues goaltending shows up and shines then I think the Blues can take Vegas for second. But right now, since Vegas has the goaltending question figured out, I'm going to put Vegas in at number two with the Blues coming in at three. Yeah, and that's a good point with the Blues goaltending situation. That's still a big question mark going forward. I mean, I think Bennington um, will bounce back. I mean, he's only got 56 games to worry about this year, and he, you know he's going to be rotated in and out, especially because – uh, you know, the the tight schedule. I mean, it's going to be hard for him to do a lot of those back-to-backs, you know, especially as the season goes on. So we will need to see Ville Husso or whoever the third goalie for the Blues will be in their taxi squad uh, step up, whether that's John Gillies. Uh, some people were, I mean, I, I saw Gabriel Foley, uh, you know, from last word on hockey, uh, pimping out uh, Joel Hofer. I'm on board some, with that. And you, you, th- you don't think it's too early for Joel? No, I mean, he's shined in, in Canada for the World Juniors, uh, so he's been in a big stage. Uh, the, the big thing about this is it, it really comes down to what the AHL does. If the AHL has a season, I don't think you mess with Joel Hofer. I think you let him play down there and, and you let him get games. But if the AHL isn't going to play, give him a shot, man. See yeah. what you got. Give him some. Give him an opportunity. Who's to say he's going to even play in any games? He, he may just be a... a that guy that's there if you need him an emergency goaltender so yeah i'm fine with that and and we're leaving out evan fitzpatrick as well a guy that hasn't really gotten his due and his shot and has had some good years down in the minors as well so the blues have options but nothing stands out as a great option because we still don't even know what we have in in philly huso yeah he, he could be a guy that comes in and just doesn't play well i don't think that's the case but we we just don't know it's it's a big question mark in that goaltending spot well, and the need for Huso to be step up is even more important because every team gets to have three goalies on their roster between the active roster and the taxi squad. So if he falters, then you're not going to be able to go out necessarily and get, you know, a veteran backup, you know, because teams will be, you know, holding on to their goalies for dear life this year. Um, Joe Hamilton of the uh, of your your comrade on Crunch Time asking, does Arizona scare you at all? Well, I don't have to answer that. Uh, we'll have Luke Whitman answer that. Their struggles against Arizona rolls his eyes. He's he knows of the Blues issues with with Arizona. Um, definitely, uh, guy the white Blues fan saying that Huso scares him a little bit. That's fair. I mean, because you you don't know exactly what you have 
in in Ville Husso at this point. Uh, Luke also pointing out if Colorado finds a goalie, this league is in trouble. Yep. Um, so I mean, I mean, I think Franz Tose and Grubauer, I think you know, most Avs fans would say they were fine, but they could be better, you know. So that's you know, they they need one of them to step it up, but I still pick. I'm I'm on board with Colorado winning this division. I I think that they're a young team that's only going to get better. Uh, Nathan McKinnon, in my opinion, is the best hockey player in the NHL today. Sorry, McDavid. Um, I think McKinnon does more to help his team win and you know perform better. Just see, he's an exceptional leader. He's just an incredible talent, and he is the 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 engine that drives that team. A very good team, I might add. Um, Second place, I, I I'm gonna have I'm gonna say St. Louis squeaks by Vegas. I the thing with Vegas I worry about is, um, you know, of course they got Petrangelo, but they had a, a fair bit of roster turnover to get Petrangelo in, and I worry a little bit about their chemistry issues, you know, coming into this year because I think there's some Vegas players, you know, like noteworthy Vegas players like Pacioretty and Flurry that are kind of having their you know, they're not, you know, a little worried about answering the phone, you know, because they might be traded, you know, and that's uh, that that can that can drag a team down a little bit. Just, you know, uncertainty. Um, and and I think Robin Leonard is a great goalie. I think the blue I think Vegas has a good defense. But again, it's just a matter of that chemistry coming around in 56 games. I think the Blues have enough to beat Vegas in the standings, but I can see it going either way. So I think that's my two and three. The interesting battle here will be for the fourth playoff spot. And we know, by the way, as part of the return to play, that it's the top four teams in each division. There's no, you know, three in one division, five in another. It is straight up four, four in, four out. Done. And so to me, that battle is going to come down to two, maybe three, but I'm not, I'm not confident. I think it's going to come down to Minnesota, Arizona, maybe San Jose if they get their act together. I mean, because they still got a lot of talent on that team. It's just they, they're they an absolute dumpster fire. That's the only, you know, California team I could see surprising a little bit. I'm not confident on Anaheim. I'm not confident on Los Angeles. Uh, Minnesota or Arizona uh, or even San Jose, who do you think uh, takes the fourth spot? I'm I'm going to be completely bullish on Arizona. Um, you know they were on the rise last year. They, they picked up Taylor Hall last year, and I don't. He's I've I completely lost track of where he's at right now. He is uh, Buffalo on a one year eight That's million right. dollar deal. He's so, he's so forgotten because he's in Buffalo. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> but they still Arizona still has a lot of talent. They're still young. They still got Clayton Keller. They've got good goaltending down there. Um, I, I think Minnesota. They're going to have to deal, deal with the Bill Guerin situation. I think that's going to be weighing on there on that team. Uh, as well this year, like you talk about Vegas with chemistry, Minnesota may have some chemistry issues as well. So I like Arizona. I think that's the team that's going to eventually grab that. Uh, you know, you, you're not so high on, on the ducks. I mean, I think the ducks are a team that could be a surprise team. I really do. You know, they picked up Kevin Shatten, Shattenkirk. They still have Cam Fowler. Uh, they've got Ryan Getzlaff. David Back is still with there. If, oh. he, plays, if he plays, who knows? Not sure. Yeah. They still have Adam Henrique. Uh, they've got some good young talent in there, Silverberg and, and Raquel. So uh, it, an Anaheim team, they may not make the playoffs, but I wouldn't be surprised if they make some noise this season. I, I, I would I would keep my eye on the Ducks. Uh, and also keeping his eye on the Ducks is the Wyatt Blues fan. Quack, quack. You know, uh, Mighty Ducks represent. Um, 
Also, we have some inside info on the Minnesota Wild. Our uh, buddy Luke Whitbin lives in the Twin Cities. Uh, he feels that Minnesota is still rebuilding. I don't think they'll be a factor this year. Kaprizov and Rossi are the talk of the town, but nothing this year. Now, I think Kaprizov could give you some instant returns right away. I mean, he has all the hype in the world behind him, and he seems like a guy that could step on the ice and make an impact right away. But as we've seen with Russian forwards, Wags, Clem Costin, excuse me, they take a little while to adjust sometimes to the North American game, if you will. So I think he's got a point. Plus, it's still Minnesota, and Minnesota is still boring as hell. So, you know, that I mean, that's that just that's never going to change. Um, they are like the Chicago White Sox of hockey. They're just, you know, striving for mediocrity every year. Um, I think Arizona will take the fourth playoff seed as well. You know, a lot has been made about their, you know, GM situation with uh, John Chaka and then uh, Bill Armstrong coming in to take over. I mean, for one, I'm pro high bill armstrong he did a lot of good for the blues i think he'll do a lot of good in arizona and besides taylor hall leaving they didn't really have any other major departures i mean their roster is still intact and this was a roster that was good enough to beat nashville in the playoffs um you know they still have a lot good good young talent of course swansea illinois native uh clayton keller uh they're waiting for more on him a little bit i think uh he'll take a step up this year uh connor garland christian dvorak uh, good defense uh, led by uh, Chikrin and Ekman Larson. And they still got Kemper and, and Ranta net, which is about as good of a tandem as you can ask for. It's just a matter of, you know, both of them staying healthy. You know, they're both kind of made of glass. But, you know, as long as one's playing well, you know, you know they're still a scary team. So I, I think Arizona finishes fourth, Minnesota fifth. Uh, I'll go with San Jose a little bit over Anaheim. And I think Los Angeles uh, is the uh, anchor of the uh, Western division. So it'd be interesting. It'll be interesting to see this year. They uh, teams will be playing each other eight times uh, within the division. So there's a lot of uh, opportunity for bad blood to build up between these two teams. And uh, um, we were actually talking amongst uh, last word on hockey riders, wags, look at the East division. You have Boston, Buffalo, New Jersey, Islanders, Rangers, Philly, Pittsburgh, Washington, what are the odds that someone commits murder in one of that in, in one of in amongst one of those teams this year? I'd have to say the odds are very, very, very high and very likely. And I'm sure it's not going to be just one team. I think you're yeah. going to have about three or four different, uh, you know, brawls and, and murders in that in that Eastern Division. I mean, that's you know, you, we talk about the Black and Blue Division that the Blues played in back in the day. Mm. This one could rival that. I mean, that- come on, you know. Boston, Philly, Pittsburgh, Washington. I mean, wow. I, I'm i going to, I'm just glad that we're going to have so much hockey to watch because mm-hmm. I'm going to be able to watch those Eastern Conference games, see that amazing hockey, and then I can switch over to the Blue Pacific games. Come on. I'm happy. Yeah. I'm looking forward to a lot in this season. But one of the things I'm looking forward to is if the East Division becomes like 1970s hockey again and you have like players with 300 penalty minutes and, you know, just multiple line brawls. I mean, I want to see that back, you know, at least in one division. I think the East has got the best potential for that. None of those teams like each other at all. Uh, by the way, uh, uh, Guy the White Blues fan feels that Clem Costin will not be a blue by the trade deadline. And Costin's a guy that needs to step it up this year. I I, I think we've we've wait, we've waited and waited and waited for him. I think his upside as a top line winger is gone. Um, I still think he has a future possibly as a bottom six forward. Um, 
but I'm I'm not as high on him as I as I was. I mean, do you still believe in Clem Costin? Um, yeah. I mean, I do at this point because he hasn't come had to come in and prove himself and failed at it. I, I think for me, uh, it was either last year or the year before when he was in the preseason. He dropped the gloves against Dallas in a preseason game, and it was kind of all over the place. And then seeing his his play in the AHL this past year, you know, throwing his weight around, really embracing the North American style of hockey. Um, I, I, I'm still a little high on him. I mean, I'm not sitting there saying he's the next guy, but he, he's he's a he's a person that could eventually crack the top six. I think. Uh, but I think you're right. I think at least for the next few years, bottom six forward, kind of get the Sammy Blade treatment where yeah. he, he comes in, plays on a third line with a couple of uh, you know veterans, successful. Put him, put him with Bozak. I mean, I, you saw what Bozak did with Thomas and Blay. I think he could do the same thing for Clem Costin, and I, eventually, I think he can get there. I'm not ready to give up on him just yet. Now. If an offer comes along and a team blows you away and says, hey, we're going to give you this top talent and part of the deal is have Clem Costing involved, I'm okay with it. I'm not yeah. going to sit there and you know say, no, uh, he's untouchable. But I, I think he's going to contribute to the Blues this year, and I think fans are going to be pleasantly surprised. Uh, guy the White Blues fan wants a Tarasenko, not a Zombo. Uh, Rick Zombo, shout out to Rick Zombo, by the way, was a guest on uh, – uh, with the Hawaii Blues fan, that episode dropped today. Uh, you can check it out on YouTube, as we have on the uh, banner below here. Uh, a couple other bibs and bobs from the return to hockey. I'm not going to bore you with just you know a lot of details here, but uh, training camp will begin on January 3rd. Uh, teams that did not qualify for the 2020 postseason will be allowed to begin on December 31st. Uh, no preseason. That's done. Uh, Blues were preparing for the January 3rd start already, by the way. Doug Armstrong confirmed that in his press. So I feel that this is ultimately a confirmation of a very poorly kept rumor. You know, it's I think I think they were everyone was gunning for January 3rd and then game starting on January 13th. Uh, the hope is to, uh, in fact, actually not hope, it, the season will conclude on May 8th. So you have a little less than five months to get in 56 games. So you're going to have at least, uh, you know, at least about 11 or 12 games per month, you know, for the for, you know, for the Blues. So figure 12 games out of, you know, an average of 30 days a month. It's going to be a lot of hockey that is going to be stuffed in there. Uh, but there is a right reason and rationale for that. Uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs will feature 16 teams, best of seven, four round format, traditional. And they're going to wrap that up by mid-July because NBC has the Summer Olympics coming up and so you know i can't really blame nbc for wanting to get hockey done before the olympics start uh but a good another uh, one positive to this wags is that the plan is to return to a normal hockey calendar for the 2021-22 season when that happens wags i i it will be such it will, it will feel for me like a return to normal you know like maybe the world is healing the world is normalizing we're all getting vaccinated and, you know, we can finally return to life after normally if they announce that the 2021 22 season is going to be a normal 82 game schedule, that'll probably be my favorite hockey announcement in the last couple of years. Honestly, I think you're right, because at that point, like you said, the vaccine will probably be in wide circulation. Uh, we'll have gone through another season of hockey. We've gotten we've, we'd have gotten hockey 
Major League Baseball will be able to start. We'll, they'll probably implement some sort of fan return as well. So we'll have some templates as far as how fans returning to the stadiums are going to work. Uh, so, yeah, I think if they come out and announce that it's going to be normal, I think that's going to be the start of just a normal life again. And, and that's crazy. It'll be a year and a half, essentially, after COVID hit that we're kind of getting back to normal. Uh, but when you're talking about a league that's trying to get a new TV deal and still trying to grow the game as well, to be the first league that would come back normal, that would be huge for the NHL because they could draw a lot from that. And if they can get a good TV deal and get wider coverage because of all this, it's perfect for the NHL. Just, just hope they don't screw it up. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm with you on that 100%. Um, taxi squad. So how how is that going to work? Well, we have some information from Cap Friendly on that. Uh, of course, they would be on top of things like this. Uh, teams that are looking to develop their prospects may see the taxi squad as a big benefit to their development. The taxi squad players get to practice. They get to attend events and travel with the NHL team, all the while being paid a minor salary and without acquiring a roster spot. So this is kind of, you know, this kind of goes back to the Joel Hofer argument, Wags, is that, you know, if you're looking, if, if AHL is not going to have a regular season or if it's going to be a little different, you know, under those terms, maybe maybe Joel Hofer on the taxi squad isn't such a bad thing. No, I, I mean, like I said, it's going to give them opportunities. Uh, it's not going to count against the, the Blues roster. There's a lot of positives that can be taken out of allowing a guy like Joe Hofer uh, a chance to be the taxi squad goaltender. Uh, but but once again, if he's got the ability to go play in a league that's going to have a decent season where he's going to be a starter, I would much rather see him go that direction to yeah. get more reps in uh, just to continue to stay in shape in a sense. you know, If the AHL loses their season, he better be the taxi squad goalie. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Okay. No, no love for John Gillies. No, 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 no. I mean, think about it. His name's Gillies. What's the thing? What's the word that's closest to that? Uh, and, and what are yeah. Gillies suits? They're, they're, they're camo. People can't see you. It almost <laughs> like having a, a, a nobody in net. So, um, mm. you know, and, and Mr. Gillies, if you're watching, we'd love to have you on. We'd love to talk about your NHL career and how great of a goaltender you are. But he's not going to be in the net. <laughs> Almost like not having someone in that. That's like the Red Wings last year with Jimmy Howard, you know, and his four Ooh. plus goals against average, which is probably why he hasn't been picked up yet by anyone. Shots fired at the Red Wings podcast. Okay. Of course, of course. You know, I mean, we, we, we need to, you know, hip check them every now and then for what they did to us in the 90s. Those asshats. Um, anyway, some other taxi squad notes here. Um, and by, by the way, there's one disappointment I will say for the Blues being in the West and not the Central is we don't get to beat up on the Red Wings this year which is sad um, taxi squad notes. As I said, minimum of four players, maximum of six. Um, some other details here. Um, one goalie is required on the taxi squad for teams with less than three goalies on the active roster. And the one goalie must be available for all home and away games in this situation. So uh, say it is Joel Hofer. That is that third goaltender. He gets to be at every game, home and away. And as you said, practicing and just, you know, living the, you know, big league life. You know, he'll still earn a minor salary, but he'll be, you know, at least with that team and getting that big league exposure. So that's kind of an interesting caveat there uh, when it comes to uh, the goaltending situation there. Uh, last day at training camp is the first day players can be loaned to the taxi squad. 
Uh, the taxi squad will dissolve after the season. Uh, taxi squad members can practice with the NHL team. They can join team activities, travel with the team, not required unless you're a goalie. Uh, taxi squad members cannot practice or join activities other than those with the NHL team. So, for instance, uh, if Hofer was up with the taxi squad, he could not play in Springfield, for instance, unless he actually is fit, like actually demoted down there, I think is, is the caveat there. Um, if a taxi squad player is deemed unfit to play, like COVID isolation or injury, the team can request they do not count towards the six-player limit and maybe shuffle someone back in there. Um, now, here's a big thing with the cap hit here. The effect on the team's cap hit while on the taxi squad is the equivalent to if the player were playing in the minors, so like a buried cap hit. Like you saw this with like a Sheldon Surrey, you know, with uh, with Montreal, and I think Dallas as well had him had that pill for a while. Uh, you had Wade Redden for a while, you know, was, was kind of the same situation with the New York Rangers where he had a big con. They have a big contract. You banish them in the minors. You don't get the full money back, but you still get hit a little bit. And uh, Cap Friendly explains this. So teams do not receive the full cap relief when a player on a one-way NHL contract is reassigned to the American Hockey League, or in this case, is sent to the taxi squad. The player's salary cap hit, excuse me, minus the sum of the minimum NHL salary for the respective season and $375,000 still counts towards the team's salary cap total. So the cap hit relief is therefore equal to the minimum salary of the respective season plus $375,000. So if the Blues were to say send Carl Gunnarsson to the taxi squad, you know, because he makes about 1.75 mil and the Blues are still over the cap, the relief would be $700,000, which is the minimum, plus $375,000, which equals to just under $1.1 million. So this is a situation where teams, and there's there's still quite a few teams that are above the cap, they might be able to, at least for like opening day, for instance, or you know, or if, if, it's, if it's an LTR, LTIR situation or another situation, they can stash players in the taxi squad and get some relief. So do you, do you, do you see the Blues maybe uh, using that to their advantage? Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. that's kind of why they made some of the moves that they made was knowing that something like this might be on the horizon. Uh, they they knew something like this was going to happen. Being able to put a, a Carl Gunnarsson or maybe a Robert Bortuzzo or somebody like that yeah. on the taxi squad, getting some sort of relief uh, while allowing some of these younger players to get into the lineup is probably the direction that they were going to have to go anyway because teams aren't trading for a Carl Gunnarsson. Teams aren't trading for a Robert Portuzo. They're not yeah. trading for a Tyler Bozak, although I don't think Tyler Bozak is going to be a guy that goes on the taxi squad. No, no. Uh, but, yeah, I, I totally see the Blues going that direction, and it's no slight to a guy like Carl Gunnarsson because he is the first team, first Blues player to score a game-winning goal in the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, he's going to be a legend in the Blues' uh, histories. Uh, but he, he's not going to be a guy that plays much on this team, if at all. I think he's the taxi squad defender. He's the veteran on that squad that's going to be able to take those young guys under his wing and be the shepherd, in a sense, <laughs> of these young guys. So, yeah, it, it's it's a twofold situation. It's it's good to get a veteran presence on that taxi squad, but it will save the Blues money, and they desperately need it. And we wanted to uh, you know leave the return to play hockey on that note because, of course, the Blues have a – Interesting cap situation made even more interesting with the retirement of Alex Steen. And uh, we'll talk about his career and the LTIR money the Blues will get after this Hockey Podcast Network promo. And then 
we will start off our Alex Dean segment with our Aloha commentary. So stay tuned. That's coming just around the bend. Hello, bonjour, hello, hi, heya, and previet, hockey fans. Welcome to the Europuck Podcast, the show where two Brits talk all things European hockey as part of the Hockey Podcast Network. If you want to keep updated on all of the latest news, scores, or standings from across the European hockey world, you want to get some insight from some very interesting guests discussing their stories with hockey and how the sport grows around in Europe in different interesting places, or if you want to keep updated with all of the leagues across Europe that are either playing, have been suspended, cancelled, delayed indefinitely, then do check out our latest episodes of the Europuck podcast every Friday as part of the Hockey Podcast Network. We have a YouTube channel, the Europuck Podcast, and you can listen to us wherever else you get your podcasts. So check us out every Fridays and we'll see you there, folks. And now from Honolulu, Hawaii, via St. Louis, starting in the Pacific Ocean, Guy the Hawaii Blues fan. Aloha, Blue Notes Podcast. The best show on the Hockey Podcast Network. And now I may be a little biased. I have to agree. Me? Who am I? I am Guy, the Hawaii Blues fan. I'm the host of the Bruno Fan Report. And this is my Aloha Commentary. Last week, I introduced you to the scruntled, pissed-off Blues fan, and talking to him this week, I was like, hey, do you want to come on the show? And he said, no, I'm going to be too busy consoling Luke Teriyaki Fingers. Yeah, Luke, I'm sorry, man. I know that your heart just dropped. On Thursday, we were told that Alexander Steen announced his retirement from hockey due to the degenerative disc in his back. Uh big loss for the Blues. I mean, we know that he was injured and probably would not play this year, but the retirement, um, big loss. You know, this this is a guy that spent 11 years with the Blues. He was, in in some ways, and I know this is going to sound punish, the backbone of the Blues. He really got in there. Whether you liked him, whether you hated him, whether it was a good news, whether it was bad news, he was the guy that did what he had to do. Um, he played on the power play. He played on the penalty kill, five on five. He was dropped down to the fourth line and gladly accepted that, taught the youngsters how to come up. And, and his reward, a lot of people don't realize this, he started at center for every single game of the Stanley Cup Finals. That is pretty damn cool. Now, along with his retirement, you know, what's next for him? I started my own website and blog, sclfanreport.com. That's the new home of the Blue Note Fan Report. And I wrote an article called What's Next? I look at the retirement from Steen's angle and me when I retired from the Navy at the age of 38. What it's like and what's next in your life. Kind of interesting. I hope you'll enjoy it. Tom wrote a wonderful article on the last word on sports about what Steen's retirement and how it affects the Blues, where that money comes in, and what they could do with it. 
Uh, Armstrong said it wasn't going to be spent in the next 48 hours, and he was absolutely right. They haven't made any moves. Uh, it, it, it's very nice to see that the Blues are taking their time and seeing what they got. Um, and while that's important, here's the big thing. We got an announcement on Saturday that the NHL and the NHLPA have reached a tentative agreement on 56-game seasons starting January 13th. Along with this, one of the things that came out is that the Blues are going to be in the Pacific along with Minnesota. First of all, the biggest gripe on that was the 9 p.m. starts. I have a feeling with the current situation in California that those teams are not going to play in California and could move to a neutral arena, say Salt Lake City or something like that, with earlier start times. Might not be a bad thing. Not only that, Dallas is out of that division with Minnesota in. There are four, if not five, very weak teams in that division. St. Louis is easily the second or third place team in that division, without a doubt. Without a doubt. They come in and play halfway decent hockey. Should not be a problem at all. Um, everyone who is pissed off about the Pacific, ah, might be a good thing. And then the other thing that came out, and I absolutely giddy over this, is all-time playoffs. Yes, that's right. The playoff is going to consist of four teams from each division. Now, I've got one suggestion. Up in the uh, up north, we're going to call that division the Gordie Howe division. That's right. He was the best Canadian hockey player ever. Well, second best Canadian hockey player. But we'll call that the Gordie Howe division. Over in the east, we're going to call that the Bobby Orr division. That's the Bobby Orr division. Now, in the central south, we're going to call that the Bobby Hull division. And I know what you think I'm going to say in the West, but I'm not. I'm going to call this the Wayne Gretzky division. That is cool. We used to have old names like that in our divisions. I think it'd be neat to come back this year, see how people like it, and maybe continue on with something like that. Let's, let's go back to naming our game after the greats of the game. Guys, I know it's kind of quick today. I know I had a lot to say, but I'm feeling great. I've written a couple of articles on my new blog. I'm going to say it one more time, stlfanreport.com. That is where you can find the uh, Blue Note Fan Report and my newest interview, and it's one of the best ones I've done with Rick Zombo. Oh, and one last thing, guys, before I get out of here. I've confirmed our surprise for Monday. Yeah, that's right. Monday's going to happen. I'm giddy about it. I hope you are, too. Well, this is Guy, the Hawaii Blues fan, saying mahalo to everyone who has helped me out. I'm not going to say names. You know who you are. Thank you for helping me on this show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Tom and Wags. Again, aloha, mahalo. I'm Bleeding Blue with you. This is Guy, the Hawaii Blues fan, and I can't wait to see you again on the next Aloha Commentary and the Blue Note Fan Report. Aloha.
beautiful stuff from uh guy the white blues fan as always uh uh good report there and uh, let's go ahead and get right into our uh alex steen retirement announcements i uh, this was one of those things where it felt like you know it this might have might might have been coming so it wasn't a total surprise just because of the way he exited the playoffs uh last season um but it's it's we now know what the injury is, and that is multiple levels of degenerative herniated disc in his lumbar lumbar spine. That sounds painful. It probably is painful, and that is why Alex Dean is uh, retiring. He of course played in the three round robin games, just one game against the Canucks. Um, back issues and hockey wags are kind of like oil and water. Um, they they just don't mix. So it sounds like it was just time for him. Yeah, and I'll be perfectly honest. I have a herniated degenerative disc in my back as well, and it's starting to make me wonder. Ooh, what do, what do I have to do to keep myself, uh, you know, playing the game that I love? And and if it takes a, a pro player out of the game, who's to say it's going to keep me in the game any longer as well? It, it it's it is it's it's a painful injury. It's one of those injuries that it's not it's not with you consistently. Um, it, it's not like at least for me, in a sense, it's not there. You know every second of the day it's it's when you move a certain way or, or a player hits you a certain way that's when it kind of crops up and you go oh ah when you bend over or when you stand up so it's not nothing super consistent i think that's the biggest issue and it could also lead to other things as well i mean I, you don't want to say paralysis but if, if you get hit the wrong way it could slice some stuff who, who knows and you, just, you don't want that to happen so uh the, the fact that it, this is what took him out i think that the surprise for us was the fact that we didn't really know what was wrong with him yeah fully and then he announces a retirement and you'd say exactly why he's out that i think was the biggest surprise we didn't think he was going to play this year anyway but for it to come out that this was the injury and that he's retiring it, it's a sad sad day and i'll be honest i was one of those guys that thought steam was an issue in the locker room um, I, I've said it on air on, on my other show before. I thought he was a guy that may have been the cause of why some of these coaches were fired by the Blues. But I, I still can respect him because he came into St. Louis after what he did in Toronto, not really fully living up to expectations as a first-round pick. And he's done everything a dutiful soldier is supposed to do. He, he's played yeah. top-line minutes. He's played bottom-line minutes. He's taken guys under his wing. He's been a St. Louis Blue through and through, and I could not be happier for Alex Steen to be a guy that retires as a blue and and who knows, maybe he's a guy that might, might have a Jersey retired. I don't think it's going to happen, but he has done so much for the blues. I, I cannot wait to have him as part of the alumni. Yeah. He's uh he's been a great warrior over the years. Uh, a guy that, you know, as we'll kind of get into here, you know, you kind of suspect may have been playing through some injuries throughout his career. Uh, just at various points. I, I don't know if like the, you know, you mentioned the locker room issues, you know, this, you know, you're talking about locker room issues, like during, you know, like the time when Oshi and, uh, you know, Berglund were around, you know, I don't know if he was causing the issues so much, but maybe he just got caught up in them and maybe, mm -hmm. you know, maybe just added to the problem. Then once those bad, you know, bad players were out of the picture, you know, he kind of settled down a little bit, you know, that's, that's what I kind of think happened with him because, you know, in the last couple of years, he's got nothing but high marks for his ability to be a locker room leader and, you know, playing without ego. I mean, this was a guy that, you know, when, you know, his quality of play was starting to drop in recent years, as every Blues fan noticed and pointed out, 
Um, he had no problem sliding into a fourth line role and helping mentor, you know, the Sunquists and Barbashevs of the team. Um, he, you know, I remember whenever Coach Ruby, um, you know, he mentioned in a press conference that he went up to uh, Alex Steen and asked him if he could play you know, on the fourth line, you know, and it was like, a, he said it was like a five minute conversation, no ego whatsoever. And Steen just nodded his head and agreed that that was the best role for him. You know, yeah, and so. Tom, Tom Calhoun, you know, he said something, I, I don't know if it was on, on one of guys posts or guy was responding to a post and Tom also responded to it. But at one point in his career in St. Louis, he went from Alex to Alexander. Yeah. And Calhoun said, he goes, he asked him why. And it was basically, he said, it's time for me to grow up. And I think that was the moment that it went from being a kid playing hockey to a leader being born. And yes, it may still have taken a little while to kind of find his path. But once he did, he has been in just the perfect example of what a St. Louis Blues player is. And he'll go down as a guy like, like a plaguer or or an Unger that, that people will talk about, maybe not in the Hall of Fame conversation, but a guy that was a key cog and a very, very big part of the St. Louis Blues franchise in the 2000s and 2010s. And they thought in Toronto that he was going to be he was going to be a big part of the Maple Leafs yeah. going forward. He was a first rounder, had a really promising rookie campaign, and I you know I remember Steve Dangle, you know, who is you know the like the rabid uh, Toronto Maple Leafs fan up there. You know, he noted uh, he's noted a few times. That when Toronto was talking about potentially big trades, teams would ask for Alex Steen in return, you know, for you know a big name. And Toronto said, "No, we're not. We're not moving Steen. No, absolutely not. No freaking way. Untouchable." Uh, he was, and then all of a sudden, it felt like almost a switch flipped overnight, and he was getting packaged with Carlo Koyakovo for Lee Stepniak. You know, that's how that's how quickly they turn on you in Toronto. Uh, it was it was just after three full years and I think very early into what would have been his fourth year in Toronto when when that trade happened. By the way, I love that deal at that time when that happened. You know, I you know, Stempy was a guy that he was one of the few blues during that time period. Keep in mind, this is the late 2000s that was pumping in goals and being a productive forward. Um, but I was aware of the hype that Steen had, at least at one point. Um, and I seem to recall, I was actually more excited for Koliakovo at the point, just because the Blues seemed to have an issue where they didn't have any puck-moving defensemen during that period, like, at all. I mean, Eric Brewer, and and that's about it. Um, and then so they bring in Koliakovo, and, and I thought, hey, you know, this, this this might be a good trade. I mean, Koliakovo is a good defenseman, and this Steen guy might turn out. I loved it at the time. Well, do you remember uh, what was your reaction when that trade happened? Initially, I was like, why? Stepniak, he was one of my favorite guys. He, Stepney, like said, no. Yeah, he was putting in goals between him and Brad Boys. I mean, those were the guys that were actually producing. Oh, there's food. another one. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> High and wide boys. Uh, but <laughs> Stepniak was the guy that was producing for the Blues. But just kind of like you in a sense that after I after the initial thing, I sat back and I started to kind of dive into it a little bit. And not only was it a two for one, you were getting a guy that that maybe needed a change of scenery. And I think that was the argument that I made back in the day when that happened, because a lot of people were very, very negative at the trade. And my response was, you know, sometimes these guys just need a change of scenery. And that's exactly what happened. We got some good years out of Koliakovo. We got some good memes of Carlo Koliakovo as yes, well. Yes, we did. Uh, but we also got the best of Alex Steen. And Lee Stempniak is a guy that 
came became a journeyman. He was a guy that had a, a decent career, and I definitely followed his career wherever he went. Always wish the Blues would have had a chance to bring him back and you know kind of employ him into a bottom six role of some sort. But the Blues hands down won that trade, and it wasn't even close. Yeah, he played 765 games with the Blues, 195 goals, 301 assists, was a plus 50 in regular season games, even playing for some not-so-great Blues teams uh, that were in the late 2000s and you know early 2010s. Uh, best season was as a 29-year-old, 2013-14. He had 33 goals, 29 assists, and 68 games. Even got some heart consideration that year. Um, and that was about the time. There was a very short period of time in their wags where – I thought he was going to be the best forward for the Blues going forward. He was going to be the guy that carries the team forward. Not Oshie, not Berglund, not Perron. It was Steen's team. You know, for for the short time there, of course, this was right before Tarasenko broke out and Steen kind of started settling into the role that he settled into. But uh, I remember there for, you know, a short time, you know, in the like, you know, around 2012, 2013, it looked like this was Steen's team. Well, and that might have been where some of this locker room controversy may have started, too, because I'm pretty sure Alex Steen thought this was going to be his team as well. Uh, and, and the Blues organization and, and the fan base put a lot of faith in TJ Oshie and Berglund and, and Perron and kind of elevated them in their minds over a guy like Alex Steen. David Backus getting the captaincy. I don't, I don't think Alex Steen should have gotten the captaincy over David Backus, but seeing as how Steen may have believed it was his team, he, he probably thought he might have deserved a shot at being the captain as well. So I think some a little bit of animosity may have built at that point and could have caused those locker room issues. Uh, but yeah, he, he he was a guy that was producing. He was a guy that he, he put his head down and he worked. And he was a good two-way forward. He was a guy that did things on both ends of the ice that superstars don't do necessarily and I think that may have hurt him just a little bit because he was such a solid hockey player like his father before him that I think that may have ended up hurting him a little bit as well as the fact that he was a great all-around player so that's not sexy for fans and that's kind of why maybe he got a little bit diminished in their eyes as well yeah, definitely. He, he definitely was not a sexy type of a player. That's for sure. I mean, he would put in goals, but you know, they were, you know, they weren't like a, you know, like a dang, he, he wasn't a dangler or anything like that. He wouldn't wow you with, you know, wicked puck handling or anything like that. He was just a hardworking two way forward. And that, that, that was his game. Um, he wasn't overly physical. He never really had big hit totals. Wasn't a big penalty guy. Uh, he would get some consideration for Selkie you know, almost every year when he was with the Blues, at least you know before the uh, final couple of years. Um, you know, he usually hovered. You know, in the this this kind of surprised me, and 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 you know, I, I forget this about Steen, but um, he did have some issues staying on the ice and staying healthy. Like he usually hovered in the 60s or 70s in terms of games played in the season, but. Um, you know, on the flip side, you know, as I said earlier, he seemed like a guy that'd be willing to play through injuries and do and just be a really good team player. You just want I, I it just kind of left me wondering, like, you know, what what else was he dealing with? Well, he, he's a guy that went to the front of the net. He played in the corners. He he was a he wasn't a dirty player, but he played in the dirty areas. So yeah, you know, chipped bones, cracked ribs, things like that. Those are things that you 
accumulate when you play that style of hockey and, and you can play through it in a sense, but there are times where you just can't. And yeah. <laughs> Luke's right, slap shots and garbage goals. Although that goal against the Kings was not a garbage goal. No. That overtime goal is probably one of the greatest goals in St. Louis Blues history, but it epitomized Alex Steen's career in here in, in St. Louis. It, it absolutely epitomized his career. Also, one of the best John Kelly calls. Oh, you know, yeah. After that. that, that that was a signature moment for 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 them both, really. But you know, yeah, Luke kind of uh, brings up a good point. You know, slap shots and garbage goals. You know, he, you know, I, it, it makes me remember to when Steen was really starting to find his game. You know, he he started to find his game not long after Kachuk retired, mm-hmm. and it felt like he felt like in a lot of ways like Kachuk's replacement. You know, maybe like a Kachuk light, if you will. He maybe didn't have the propensity for you know bad penalties like keith had you know back then but uh um yes and garbage goals said respectfully respectfully dirty areas very much like a keith kachuk so um definitely a guy that i that you know you can respect his game especially you know just coming off of uh kachuk's career now he leaves his retirement leaves the question of his cap hits so in real life, in real dollars, he is due three and a half million dollars in his final year. He's going to get it. You know, even though he's retired, he's still going to get that money from the Blues. And even though he's retiring, his five point seven five million dollar hit goes against the Blues cap. So it's still there. But as I wrote in last word on hockey this past week, the Blues can get that money as a legal cap overage. So basically, it is like they've been given just about 5.75 mil to, to in free money. I think there's, I don't know if they get all of like a hundred percent of it, but it's, you know, if they do it right, they should be able to get that money back, you know, at least most of it. Um, and it's kind of hard for me to explain how that situation works. Just look for my article in the blues section of last word on hockey. It's on the front page. Um, I'm not going to, it's, it's a very boring explanation to, for how that works, but the bottom line, it does give the blues money to work with now. And with some careful maneuvering, plus the taxi squad that, you know, the Blues can help, you know, that might help the Blues bury some money, like, say, a Carl Gunnarsson or a Robert Bortuzzo, uh, that's a factor. So, obviously, the first thing on the Blues list, Wags, should be re-upping Vince Dunn. And Doug Armstrong indicated that they're still working on a deal, that the Steen situation doesn't necessarily affect the Dunn situation very much. Um, But I'm still thinking that they need to get him done sooner than later. No pun intended. And I'm thinking about two and a half mil gets it done, Wags. Sounds about right. I mean, a that guy seems that about right. Still needs to prove some stuff. Um, you know, he's a bottom defensive pairing kind of guy, and we need to see a little bit more before he starts getting that money. And uh, Tuck Armstrong saying that Steen's situation had no effect on this. Uh, come on. They, yeah. they, whether it was retirement or LTIR, they were thinking about Steen's money and how it would affect them going after a guy like Vince Dunn. But with that being said, don't think it's not in the realm of possibilities that a sign and trade still happens with Vince Dunn. Um, the, the Blues have a lot of defensemen. Uh, obviously, we're talking about burying Gunnarsson or Portuzo on the taxi squad. So if they're able to do that, there's a reason for that. So it, it may still not be out of the realm of possibilities that that sign and trade could happen. Um, I don't think it does because you still need some guys that have NHL experience playing on this roster, but if things don't start off so quickly for Vince Dunn, he might be one of those guys that's a, an early name on the trade block when the trade deadline hits. 
Yeah, definitely. And it, it he's a guy that I think would get a lot in return from a team, you know, because he's still young. His his uh, analytics are amazing. I mean, as we had we had Jay Fresh on uh, a few uh, months ago explaining how, you know, his quality of uh, competition is low, but against the uh, opponents that he plays against, he, he, he performs really well. So there there's definite upside with Dunn and with the Blues, you know, signing the perfected version of Vince Dunn in Tory Krug this offseason, and with another Dunn-like player coming up in Scotty Perunovic, it does kind of make you wonder about Dunn's future. That's a question that uh, will need to be answered uh, as the weeks go on. So the rest of the money, you know, it, it, it's not all going to be going to Vince Dunn's savings. Um, Tarasenko could go on LCIR at least for a little while, but I think they're expecting him back at some point, so you don't want to spend Tarasenko's money and then Tarasenko comes back and you're in a real pickle. Um, so they can't go too crazy there. Um, in my original draft of my last word on ho- a hockey article this week about Steen's cap hit, the same article where I explain how that works. I had mentioned, I thought Anthony Duclair might've been a good look at about $2 million or less. I was skeptical when we talked about him with guy uh, about a month ago. I think he's still a bit of a head case. But as we as you as you as we just dealt with with Alex Steen, you know, eventually Steen grew up. You know, I think Duclair is eventually going to grow up at some point. You know, maybe when he's on his tenth NHL team at this rate, because he's already <laughs> on number six at twenty five years old. But you know, Duclair. You know, I, I had a conversation with Gabriel Foley about this uh, just in uh, on Facebook, and you know, one thing that he pointed out is that Duclair is actually a pretty decent two-way forward. I mean, he can play defense. He got penalty kill time. I should have talked with Shane Ryan as well with uh, Senzauer about him as well. And, you know, Duclair is not just an offensive guy. I mean, he would give you kind of almost like an Alex Steen type of a game, you know, where he can, you know, give you some offense, play good defense. Um, You know, I thought he would have been an interesting look. But, of course, as soon as I click submit on the article – News comes out, he is signing in Florida for 1.7 mil. So that's out. Um, I think uh, that leaves the Blues with about three options here. If they want to splash the cash on someone, uh, you know, former Blues prospect Carl Soderberg is out there, gritty bottom six forward type. I don't know if he's what the Blues need. Uh, Mikhail Granlund, uh, formerly of the Minnesota Wild and most recently with Nashville, intriguing playmaking forward in his 20s and he's he, he he's been a producer up until his time in nashville he's an intriguing option and of course the sexy pick of mike hoffman and his 30-ish goals that he would provide over an 82 game season not a whole lot else out there though so do you want the blues to go out and splash the cash on someone like a, a hoffman or granland or would you rather see them stay pat at this point I think at this point, I'd rather them stay in Pat and look and see what the trade deadline brings. Um, you know, don't foolishly waste the cash that you're going to have because at that point as well, you might know a little bit more about Tarasenko when he may be coming back as well. Um, what, what's the point of, of spending the money that you may not have and then having to either release or cut a guy? Um, and, and I don't know how that all works as well. So that you may have lost that money anyway. I'm, I'm much better with them not signing anybody. I mean, obviously yeah. Soderbergh, they don't need more bottom six forwards they need somebody that's going to make an impact in the top six um while mike hoffman would be very intriguing in my eyes and it sounds like the talks around him are heating up it'd be tough because you talk about declare being a head case mike hoffman 
uh, was a pretty big locker room cancer in Ottawa. Shanahan it, 2.0, basically, with exactly. the wide situation. So you would almost think that the Blues would know how to handle that. So that might actually be a, a, a check mark in his favor as well. Uh, I'd love to have a guy that can come in and score 30 goals, but it, it, he just doesn't seem like he would fit with this team. He wouldn't fit stylistically. You know, he's not a grinder. He's not a guy that's going to battle hard. He's a guy that's going to kind of coast around the offensive zone. And yes, he'll put in the goals that he that he does, but he may alienate himself from the team and and the team game. Barube might be able to get him, you know, into that mold, but I just I don't want to waste 13, 14 games trying to fit him in. It's 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 the what the the round peg into the square hole. I just don't know if I want to spend that time in a shortened season trying to figure that out. Yeah. I'd rather go with what we know. I, I'm kind of with you on that. I am not only that, but you know, Jay Fresh came out with a uh, newsletter today, and he kind of reiterated a point about Hoffman, and that is, he is goals and nothing else. You will not get any sort of two-way ability with him. He is a swinging saloon door on defense. <laughs> he just does not give one single shit about playing defense, and that's his mo. That's just the way. That's just the way he is. He is a score. He's not even a playmaker. The guy doesn't even you know his passing metrics aren't great. So you're pure getting a pure score. So I mean, unless you're thinking about okay, maybe this is a guy we pair with Robert Thomas to pad you know Thomas's playmaking ability, maybe. But I don't think that role is there because I think they're going to have Thomas probably. Um, you, you're looking at him either being with short uh, Schwartz and Shen, which is I, where I think he ends up, or with O'Reilly and uh, and Perron. And O'Reilly is a center, and he's not going to move from being a center. They want Thomas to be a center. Shen can move to the right wing. So I think I think that's probably where Thomas ends up. So you don't want to deprive him of that, which is why you don't sign a Mikhail Granlund, because Mikhail Granlund, you're pretty much getting the left-handed version of Robert Thomas, you know, and there's only one of those roles for Thomas to get, you know, in those lines. And I don't think, I, I just, I just don't think Granlin is a fit. I don't think he is the tile. It's the style of forward that they need right now. I think they need to give Jordan Cairo a chance. They need to move Robert Thomas up into a top six role. And none of those options really help the blues in that regard. Now Armstrong didn't rule out signing, signing anyone, but it, it, it felt like a typical neutral you know, response from him and that, you know, I mean, he, of course he's not going to, you know, wave at a good opportunity, you know, goodbye. You know, I mean, he's always, always going to be looking for opportunities, but um, I think it's, I, I don't think it's going to happen. You know, right. the, the Mike Hoffman dreams, I don't think it's going to happen, especially with apparently talks around him heating up the idea of signing him as a bargain. I think that ship has sailed. Well, and I think that's probably why Dung Armstrong is saying that, they might be kicking the tires on him because that's going to drive the price up for somebody else. They may not make an offer, but just having the fact that the blues are rumored to be talking about him, that may make a team scared and throw a little bit more money at a guy like Hoffman hurting their cap chances as well. So it's, it's a GM power play move. It's, it's one of those things that you may not even be thinking about doing it, but by just voicing that you might be, it gets other GMs going, Ooh, I've seen what he's done the last couple of years. I don't want to give him the opportunity to, to steal somebody out from underneath my nose. I'm going to go in with an offer this guy can't refuse. Well, Doug Armstrong's sitting there going, <laughs> I just made San Jose spend $3 million more than they were supposed to. <laughs> I, I can see Doug Armstrong doing that, too. I can definitely see him doing that as well. Uh, <laughs> Luke Whitman, I would rather the team have the flexibility to give Thomas and Kyrie the top six minutes than look outside. I'm... Definitely with Luke Woodbin on that. And funny, uh, Luke Woodbin chimes in there because uh, 
you know, look at us. We're already replacing Alex Steen's spot on the roster here. And uh, Luke Whitbin is probably smashing his keyboard just even thinking about how, you know, we're, we've already sent Alex Steen into the sunset, you know, so now we're already moving on from him. Uh, Steen, of course, was Luke Whitbin's favorite player. And when Luke approached me Thursday asking if he could do a Steen tribute, I knew it would be good. And guess what, guys and gals? It is good. And here it is. Here is the latest musical masterpiece from Luke Whitbin, sung to the tune of Elton John's Candle in the Wind. It is This song is called Goodbye, Alex Steen. Goodbye, Alex Steen. Though things didn't end the way you would want, you had a great career that you would never flaunt. They drafted you in the first round, and they didn't appreciate the style you played, so they traded you away. And it seems to me you played the game with a candle to your rear Never wanting to leave the eyes when the pain set in And it was a joy to watch you give it everything you had Your body gave out long before your legend never will Twelve years with the Blues, first line penalty kill power play. You didn't need to be the superstar, you let others take the fame. You were player of the month, and would have been an all-star too. But that year was the Olympics, where your team was number two. And it seems to me you always scored when your team needed the win. Like against LA and Chicago when you forced it in. And I would have liked to see you play a season of 82. But when you play the full ice game you did, you're gonna take a bruise. Goodbye, Alex Steen. When Chiefs led you down, you didn't complain at all. You put the team before yourself, and everybody saw. Alexander Steen and the fourth line keeping top balls off the sheet all through the playoffs as team after team we'd beat. And it seems to me you played the game with a candle to your rear. Ultimate Lord Stanley's cup, grinning toothless ear to ear. 
And I'm gonna miss watching you play like when I was a kid. Your body gave out long before the legend ever will. Thank you, Steena, for the memories and everything you did. And thank you, Luke Ridbin, for that masterpiece. Uh, I like you. It was so touching, Wags. You had your hat off in reverence. I, I, it was like a tribute. It really was. I mean, it's it's just like when you see a funeral procession pass, or you know, the national anthem play, and you take your hat off as a sign of respect. And that's uh, that's a sign of respect for Alex Steen right there. And you do that when you get a candle to the rear. You know, candle in the rear, I guess, is what it is. Uh, hashtag candle in the rear. Get it twen- uh, trending, everyone. Uh, a great line. Great, great line. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, uh, we'll share uh, that full video whenever he makes it public. And, of course, um, thank you, Luke Whitbin, for uh, for that contribution. And thank you, Alex Steen, as well, for, you know, from from Blues fans. I know you I know Alex was a guy that got a lot of flack. In, the, in his last few years from fans because he wasn't worth the 5.75 mil, at least on, you know, paper they would get every year. I never was really too sour on Steen. I mean, cause I thought that, you know, when he, when he fully transitioned into that fourth line role and helped Sunquist and Barbashev up their games, um, I, I saw the value in him and, you know, you, you saw the value in him as a leader of course, Layla Anderson saw the value in Alex Steen. I mean, you know, she's, you know, one of his uh, biggest fans as well. And just, um, yeah, he's a warrior, and it's it's a shame he's gone. It's a shame that he's retired. But uh, thanks for, you know, what was it, 12 seasons of uh, of very solid play. 12 seasons. Man, that's, that's just incredible. I mean, 12 seasons for the Blues and playing through injuries. And you, you talk about his contract and – at the time that the Blues signed him, that's what they had to sign him to, and A, in order to keep him, and B, because that was what he was worth to the team at that time. And yes, as the years went on, a fourth liner making five-plus million is not all that great, but like you said, the the impact he made on guys like Sunquist and, uh, and Barbashev especially, it's not lost on what he meant to this team. And, and sometimes you pay him for, for past success and that's what Alex Steen had was past success with the Blues and he had great success in 2019 when he helped that team win the Stanley Cup and I'm glad that he got a chance to win the Stanley Cup before this back injury took him out of the game yeah definitely definitely it was a good moment seeing him lift the cup um very uh very underrated moment in in all that 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 was going on so um quick again quick programming in case you've joined us since the beginning no Thursday episodes uh, this week or next week. Uh, both of us have holiday New Year's plans, and the network is giving us a break. We will have an episode for you next week. We may not stream it live on Sunday. It may just be a Monday episode, uh, wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, we'll be joining Guy the Hawaii Blues fan in an interview with a uh, local TV personality that you see during Blues games. I I don't I, I I had it listed to mention who it is, but I think Guy didn't want us to jinx it, you know. So just in case something happens, because you know that's just life. 
So we're we're not going to announce who it is, um, but it's a guy that you know, and it's a guy mm-hmm. that you see on TV during Blues uh, Blues games. Uh, we'll be recording with him uh, tomorrow, and we'll have that for you uh, next week uh, in place of our uh, usual episode, unless there's some news that that happens, and we might pop on live uh, next Sunday. But we will just have to see about that. We hope that you have a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, and holidays. Uh, we love each and every one of you. And we will be back next year with more blues. Oh, wait a second. I forgot something, Wags. Yeah, um, there was a there was a, a pretty big episode that happened. Oh, well, I mean, at least a big episode for me. I mean, this is this is definitely mm-hmm. the way, is it not? Uh yeah, I think this is the way. Now we 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 have to talk. We gotta Star get Star Wars, the Mandalorian. Uh, we've got some stuff we need to chat about here with the Mandalorian. We're gonna keep recording here. If you haven't watched the Mandalorian. This would be the point of the episode where we we wish you farewell. Uh, thank you for listening because without you, there's no me, there's no wags, yada yada yada. You've heard it so many times before. But if you if you have watched the Mandalorian, see the the season finale of season two. Stick with us here. This is your official spoiler alert. Uh, spoilers are coming up in five, four, three, two, one. Luke Skywalker. I, uh, you, you kind of knew it was coming, but you still were like, how were they going to do that? Were they actually going to do that? But as soon as that X-Wing flew into the picture, you were like, oh shit. It couldn't be anyone else. It couldn't be. And I like the symmetry that they had. Cause I mean, you've seen rogue one. So you saw the very end, Darth Vader in the, in the, in the shroud of smoke, lightsaber ignited and then just goes badass Darth Vader. Well, this is Luke's turn to be in his prime and you get badass Luke Skywalker. And then it ends with him lightsaber on in the smoke shroud before it's revealed that it is him. I mean, it's just perfect symmetry. What Dave Filoni and John Favreau have done for star Wars fans is nothing short of spectacular. Peyton Reed, the guy who directed Ant-Man was the director of this episode, which is a bit of a surprise was for such a big moment. Definitely, definitely surprised that that was who they had directed. But he did a phenomenal job. And yes, questions were answered, but so many fucking more questions were brought up. <laughs> well, that's what next season is for. That that, and that that end credit scene too, the book of Boba Fett. I've been waiting for that, that for years as well. You know, you talked about <sighs> last week how I was still ready for Rogue, for Rogue Squadron. The fact that we're going to get a Boba Fett miniseries, TV show, whatever it turns out to be, oh, now, my dreams are coming true. Now, I, I read some speculation that the book of Boba Fett would be the Mandalorian season three. Have you? It, it, but it, I didn't. I, I thought it was supposed to be its own thing, though, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I've I've read both sides of that. Uh, when it first dropped, people were like, "Oh, this is going to be season three. It makes total sense." But it. it it's one of two things that it's going to be. It's either going to be a precursor to the season three of the Mandalorian, kind of like, you know, if it's a short mini series, it might be the lead up to the third season of the Mandalorian, or it's going to be its own entity. And I, I believe it's probably going to be more so of its own entity more than anything else. There's going yeah. to be a season three. There's no way they're sidelining Grogu and the Mando no. for a full year. Cause we're, it's going to be a year until all this comes out anyway. 
Yeah. Why are you really going to sit there and say you're going to go two years probably in between yeah. seeing Grogu and the Mando again? No, that's just not going to happen. And, and I think they've already said that we have not seen the last of Grogu. I mean, we will, we will see him again, you know, going forward. By by the way, that 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 final scene with Grogu and and uh, Mando, you know, when Mando takes his helmet off and you know Grogu reaches out. I mean, that was that was it was hard to keep tears back for that. It was because he broke the code. Um, he allowed Grogu to touch his face. I mean, it, it wasn't just about taking the helmet off and letting him see his face. It was about the, the human contact. And and don't forget, he didn't just show his face to Grogu either. He showed his face to everybody that was on the bridge. So yeah. you could start to see the crumbling, and not necessarily the crumbling, but the the, the pieces falling away. And, and don't forget, he's also now the rightful leader of Mandalore. And that's a whole nother piece that we're like, boof. So are we going to see Mando versus Bo-Katan next season? Because, I mean, that under the rules of that blade, Bo-Katan has to best Mando in a battle to get to get the blade and therefore Mandalore. Yeah, it, it, that's very, very possible. And, and shout out to one of our hosts on the Vegas Nightly podcast as well. He, he brought up a good plot hole that in the cartoon series, Bo-Katan had the dark saber because Sabine Wren gave it to her. They didn't fight all that stuff. And, and now they're sitting there going, Oh, well, why, why is that different? Look, I know it's not been explained, but it probably will. My thought process is that the reason that Bo-Katan doesn't have the dark saber now is because she didn't earn it. The Mandalorian people, the tribes, basically poo-pooed her as the leader because when the story came out, because that's what Moff Gideon said, was it's not about the power it wields, it's the power of the story. Well, when the story comes out that she didn't win it in battle, she probably had to abdicate usage of the Darksaber, and that's how it fell into the Empire's hands, that's how Gideon got it, and that's why she didn't take it when Mando offered it to her. So, yeah, you kind of had to connect some dots to get there. And yes, it may be one of those things that it, it probably was a plot hole that was there, but there's a nice, easy way to kind of wrap that up. And don't think too hard on it, okay? <laughs> it's going to be explained, and there's a reason for everything. Pablo Hidalgo does a great job connecting the dots when it comes to Star Wars. Things don't get approved and done unless it goes through Hidalgo's desk and past his eyes. So there's, there's definitely a reason why they went this route. So don't be too critical or analytical about it because there's a reason. No, this is a situation where I am willing to, you know, let go of control of, you know, like, like in past series, for instance, you know, you, you know, like when the force awakens came out, you know, I was among many star Wars fans that like to nitpick every single little thing about it. You know, it just, it almost lent itself to that kind of a response. In this case, I'm like, okay, you have given us the great stories so far here. Just, I'm going to sit back. I'm going I'm to take whatever you give me at this point because I trust you at this point to give us a great story. And, um, you know, I'm really excited to see what happens with the book of Boba Fett. You know, Boba Fett, the crime lord, you know, is, is going to be awesome. And uh looks like Fennec's going to be uh, still around for that as well. Who, by the way, the actress that plays her, I thought I recognized her from somewhere I not just from Agents of Shield. She was on that. Did you know she was Chun Li from the uh, Street Fighter movie in the nineties? I didn't. Yep. I didn't connect that at first. Yeah, but. I believe she was also. I think she might have been the voice of Mulan in she was Disney, in the Disney movie as well, the cartoon, the better one. So she's got some. <laughs> she's got some heavy nerd cred. Oh, big cred. time, 
big time. Melinda May and Agents of Shield, like you said, uh, yeah, she. I, I was happy they brought her. I mean, you knew when she was cast last year and was only in the one episode that there was something bigger in store for her because you don't just bring in a character like or a name like that and have her in one episode and kill her off. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they eventually connected her, Boba Fett, and everything. I mean, just once again, sheer genius writing. Dave Filoni and John Favreau have endeared that trust in us, and I cannot wait. And don't don't fret though, because we've got the Bad Batch cartoon series coming out in in February, so we're not going to be without Star Wars content. You still yeah. got Rangers of the New Republic. We're going to have the Ahsoka series, the Cassian Andor so series. I mean, <sighs> it is so exciting what what's coming up. It, it, it's got me back into the Star Wars universe again. I mean, I was I grew up a big Star Wars fan. I was never a Trekkie. I was always a Star Wars guy. I've watched the original trilogy at least a hundred times. Uh, I've watched the prequels probably at least ten times a piece, even though they're cringy in in, in areas. Um, and it just it just I I I I got I was one of those fans that got kind of deflated you know, with the sequels, you know, seven, eight, and nine. Um, I didn't hate them, but it definitely left me wanting more per se. And uh, so I'm excited to see what's coming up here. By the way, I figured you'd be a Fennec fan because like you, she also has had major stomach surgery. So (laughs) (laughs) I want to know how Boba Fett saved her in the middle of the Tatooine desert with that technology. That's the story I want to hear. That's going to be in the book book of Boba Fett. You know, maybe it's a flashback. How, how about this, though? I mean, if they can get Daniel Logan to come back as, and play a young mm. that as well, the flashbacks that could be used in that, I, that would be yeah. a great tie-in as well. Um, I, he's he, Everything I've read on Twitter, he's definitely a guy that, that is kind of up for it. So depending on what this show is about, if it's a short series, maybe not, but if it's a longer episodic show, we mm-hmm. might get a chance to see the younger days of Boba Fett as well, which I think would be very, very intriguing. And you've got me going back and starting what I didn't finish before, and that is going through the Clone Wars uh, cartoon series to try to backfill some of this knowledge. And then I'll go back and watch The Mandalorian and, you know, connect the dots that, you know, happened from there. Um, I, I, to be quite frank with you, Wags, I needed the Clone Wars because after The Mandalorian was done, that was eight episodes. Eight episodes of greatness, but it's just like, I want more, <laughs> you know, I, I, for, for what I thought the Mandalorian was, I thought it was 10 episodes. So it was like much to my shock and disappointment when I got to episode eight and it was the finale. I'm like, oh, ah, oh, well, oh, well, I guess I'll have to wait for the new series coming up. But man, man, I am back on the Star Wars train. Good, good, sure. good, because it is. Uh, rolling and rolling ahead quickly and so many great things. Like you said, you're going to have the Clone Wars, which you're going to be able to get a lot of stuff. The, the, the Star Wars Rebels show was another one that you're going to get a lot of tidbits. The Darksaber plays into both. Uh, Mandalorians play into both. It, it, you're going to get a lot of great character developments. Uh, we talk about Ahsoka's journey. We talk about Anakin's journey, Obi-Wan's journey. You get Captain Rex, uh, among others. There, there's so many great stories that, that Filoni and his team have come up with that it it will redeem the prequel trilogy. The Mandalorian is redeeming the sequel trilogy and rebels actually helps you understand the middle trilogy a little bit more. Yeah. As well. So like everything's being tied together and then we're going to get the high Republic series in January, which is going to start off in book form, but now we're getting a whole nother era that we're going to be able to talk about and form things around as well. That's not connected to the Skywalker. So 
a lot of great things on the horizon for Star Wars fans. They are really building this whole universe out, you know, which is something I've always wanted as a Star Wars fan. You know, the, I mean, the, the movies are great, but it's like, you know, they're they're linear stories, you know, that focus on one aspect. And, you know, you may get a you know sampling of some of these other planets and things like that. But you just knew there was there's just so much lore that could be expanded out from this universe. I mean, and, and just we're, we're getting it now. You know, and and it, it's it exciting. Disney, it took Disney to be able to do that because George Lucas wasn't going to be able to expand it because it was just him and his company. Now that you've got Lucas film under the Disney umbrella, you've got so many great directors coming in. I mean, hell, Bryce Dallas, Dallas Howard directed an episode. Rick Fumayama has directed episodes. Uh, Filoni, uh, Taka Watiti, Peyton Reed. I mean, Robert Rodriguez directed one as well. So you're getting a lot of that. Um as well, the diversity coming in into these different episodes because of the Disney umbrella. And you can say what you will about Disney. I, I, I get it. They're a behemoth and things are sometimes not great when it comes to Disney, but they produce Marvel. Now they're doing Star Wars and they're doing a couple of other really, really big things as well. So I am a Star Wars fan, happy that Disney has it and the direction that they're going. If they would have continued the path of the sequel trilogy, maybe not so much, but what they're doing now has really opened up a bunch of possibilities. Absolutely. I can't wait for all of them. Just, you know, I'm, I'm ready. Hook it into my veins. I'm, I'm so ready for it. So ready for it. All right. That is going to do it for us here on Blue Notes. I want to thank you for listening and watching because without you, there is no me. There is no Wags. There is no Hawaii Blues fan. There is no Luke Whitbin. And there is no Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Tom Franklin reminding you to not be a chump and always play to the whistle. A reminder that you can follow Blue Notes on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Blue Notes Pod. I'm the voice of the blues, Tom Calhoun. Jeremy Boyer, play us out.